0: Are y'all good? Title of the message is Grace 101. Do y'all know what 101 means? Entry level. Okay? I'm loving the revelation of grace being renewed and restored to us. There's a revival of grace. Amen? All right, so I'm going to tell you some... This is some stuff I've learned about grace. I'm going to tell you some things here that will really help you. This is my life in grace, the stuff God's taught me... Uh, here's some definitions of grace. Grace is what God has already done for us in Christ. It is unmerited favor. Grace is power. It is what the finished work of Christ has accomplished for us. And it's very, and it's every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's if you had to bullet down to one verse, Ephesians one three. It's every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I personally describe grace. The way it feels to me in my life is walking in harmony with God. Okay, walking in harmony with God. I I don't try to walk in grace. I walk in grace by faith. I know I'm not walking in grace by default. It's when I start feeling this anxiety, or I start feeling this striving, or I start feeling a lack of pleasure in my life. And I'll give you a scripture in a minute where I start losing pleasure on things. I realize I'm not walking in the grace of God. Does that make sense? Um, a, revela- a true revelation of grace will eventually lead you to a revelation of the heavenly places, because that's where it's at. That's where grace is. It also will eventually lead you to a revelation of the Father's heart of God, the Father's heart of love. Okay, and I, I got scripture on that. I will give you in a minute. Okay, uh, grace is uh we have to allow grace to train us. Okay, grace is a teacher. That's what it says in Titus 2:11 and 12. That grace actually teaches us to deny ungodliness and walk soberly in this present age. So in 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 the classroom that that grace actually uses is your everyday life. It's where you work, what you do. That's how grace does it. Uh, one of the examples I wanted to give you about grace is this not many people know this, but I can walk, literally, I can walk out this front door and put a blindfold on and walk to my house blindfolded. And the reason I can is because I've walked from here to there a million times. Okay, and I walk by feel. In other words, I feel what, what's under my feet I can tell where I'm at based on because there's a lot of times you walk home late at night where there's no sun or star, no moon or stars. It's pitch dark outside, and Becky, will, well, you know, well, we can't see. Get the flashlight. Just grab a hold of my belt loop. I can walk through here. I can take you straight home because of you know there's there's places where roots are. It's like what a blind person does. They learn how to move around. And navigate. well, that's to me. It's like walking in grace. It's all by feel. It's all by sense. It's not by my what my eyes are seeing. Don't you love that? Uh, uh, so there's no experts on grace. I, one of, you know, a friend of mine was working on a message to do on Heavenly Encounters, and we were talking about it, and one of the points was no experts. The moment you become an expert on grace, you are no longer, you've disqualified yourself. I, what I'm sharing with you is just my life experiences. I don't claim to be an expert because I'm in school. I'm in the school of grace. Um, one of the reasons there's no experts on grace is First Peter 4.10 says grace is manifold. In other words, there's many different revelations of grace, many different expressions of grace. It's not just one thing. It's many, many, many. Okay? And I'm not running out. And Jesus is full of grace and truth. So you'll ne- we'll, never under- we'll never come to the end of, of grace and what it really means. Uh, also, First Peter 3.18 says we grow in grace. We grow. In other words, once you come into a revelation, God, there's so much more He wants to show you and reveal to you about it as you walk with Him. I know, I have a lot more understanding about grace than I did when I first started. There's many revelations and theologies and perspectives on grace. Uh, so, one of the things we have to be careful about any truth, uh, and it includes grace, that, that we don't overemphasize one aspect of it. Okay, because if you study church history. When one truth is elevated above other truths, all error has come... That's how error comes into the church. That's how heresy comes into the church. When a truth is elevated above other truths, that's really important, especially when it comes to the grace revelation. Um, You know, there's there's a scripture, uh, Psalm 119, 160, it says, The sum of your word is truth. The sum of your word it's not one truth it's many truths that bring a truth bring the truth and so we always have to have this heart to learn and to know and understand and receive about grace you cannot take grace is like many truths in the Bible a lot of people try to take it to a logical conclusion you cannot take many truths to a logical conclusion a lot of people take they'll hear something that oh and so this is what this really means this is how this works out that you cannot do that Really, you can't do it with any truth because truth is not logical. And to bring something that's not logical to a logical conclusion li- usually leads you to error. There's a, a Calvinist view of grace and there's an Arminianist view of grace. Okay? Uh, Calvinist is, tends to weigh real heavily on the, on the God side, the sovereignty of God, where Arminius would tend to weigh more heavily on the human responsibility side. Okay, both are right, I believe. Uh, you know, it's what I, a uh, phrase that we were given when we were young Christians, uh, is, you know, the marriage between God's sovereignty and human responsibility. There must be a marriage. Uh, you can't just have this, you know, it's all God. That's a Calvinist view. It's just all God. But, you know, where do we fit into the picture? Aren't we part of the program here, Lord? And Aren't we part of the grace message so there's this, there's this part, there's this human part of how God wants to release grace. Are y'all good with that? So I will tend to be more Arminius. I'll be honest with you, when it comes to grace. Uh, because that's where I am in my spiritual life right now. There was a time when I was sort of tending more toward the Calvinist. You know, just what it was doing for me and how what it was doing inside of me. But, you know... Now I'm in a different place with my revelation of grace. It's what grace is doing through me and what grace is motivating me to do. All right, let me take you back to the Bible. Not that you weren't in the Bible. Hopefully, all that came out of the Bible. It did come out. Of the Bible. It came out of the Bible and and almost 40 years of really, like I said, the first time I ever heard about this thing about grace was uh, when I was a young Christian back in the 70s. Uh, grace and truth are married. Yeah, you know, Arthur Burke. Like, what does that mean? They're married. What is this grace thing? And what is this truth thing? All right, Genesis three five through six. I'm quoting the devil. If you want to know, the Bible has words of the devil. Here are some of the words the devil talking to Eve. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, speaking of the the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good, the day that you eat of it, your your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave it to her dumb husband with her. And he also ate. He didn't even have the devil talking to him, and he did it. He just had his wife eat. Here, eat this and just hush about it. (laughs) That's So here's the key. I want you to get this. The devil tempted Eve with something you can do. Here's the key. This is the truth. They were already like God. They were already like God, and the devil was saying, you need to do this to be like God. And so that's the basis of everything. That's the basis of our lives. If you really want to get down to the core, you know, she said it perfect. Grace is in the center. That's the core thing. It's when we begin to feel like we've got to do something more to measure up, something more to please God, then we are out of grace. And that's where we start beginning to go off in our life. And so that's really why grace is so critical in our life that we're established in there's nothing else for us to do in terms of God's happy with us, God loves us, God's pleased with us. We don't have to fast more. We don't have to pray more. We don't have to give more. We don't have to go to church more. We don't have to lay down and and plead with God to move in our life. We don't have to do any of those things to become pleasing to God because they're already done, okay? And the devil is constantly suggesting to people. Many people are driven away from the church. Many people are driven away from revival moves because... They come in, they see people experiencing God, having these wonderful encounters with the Lord, and they're not having them. And the thought that comes in their mind, the suggestion that comes in their mind from the devil is, there's something wrong with you because that person's seeing angels and you're not. Does anybody ever know what I'm talking about? There's something wrong with you because they're getting mightily touched by the Lord and you're not. There's something wrong with you because there's a move of God. Everybody's talking about but you don't feel nothing. In fact, you feel dead. That's the devil talking to you. Hey, let me just say, do you know one of the great revivalists of the 90s, the guy who was down at Brownsville? What was that guy's name, that evangelist? Steve Steve Hill. Steve Hill was in the revival at Argentina in the 80s, and he said it was the driest time of his life. Everybody around him was being blasted by the Lord. He was like, R- really? What's wrong with me? <laughs> and then, but, but something was really happening with him. He just wasn't connecting with it. He wasn't conscious of it. I thought that was pretty interesting. Okay, so let me just read on. To, let's jump down to verse 10. Uh, you know, what happened was, you know, they ate the fruit. They realized something terrible were noticed. But back then, being a noose was okay. Now it's not. So don't do that. Okay? But then it was okay. But then, so they they went and got these tree, fig trees, it says right there. And, and they took the fig leaves and they made a cover. And they covered themselves. And God came like He normally did. And they ran and hid. And this is what they said uh, The Lord said, Where, Adam, where are you? That's what He said to them. And. Adam said, this is in verse 10, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid. I heard your voice and I was afraid. See, a lot of people, that's their relationship with the Lord, this, this fear thing that comes around. Because I was naked and I hid myself. That's the story of many Christians' lives. Many Christians' lives. That's the story of everybody in the world. They're hiding from God. All right, now listen. This is something that's really helped me in my life. Figs. Everybody say Figs. Hey. You spell figs, F-I-G-S. F stands for fear. I stands for insecurity. G stands for guilt. And S stands for shame. You got that? So that's how I really, that's one of the ways I really gauge myself is how much fear do I have operating in my life? How insecure am I? Do I have this sense of guilt on me? Do I have a sense of shame, of hiding on me? And when I have that, when the enemy's trying to tempt me that, I realize he's trying, doing the same thing with Eve. He's suggesting to me, Byron, you're lacking something. You're not measuring up to these other guys. These people are much better preachers than you are, son. You, you need something. That's the devil. Okay? And then I realize, no, I'm not listening to that. Do y'all follow that? So that's a great way. That all those, those four things are really are the fruits of a person who's not walking in a revelation of grace at the core of their heart. Are you good to go on that? Now, um, oh, yeah, I read this recently. This is incredible. Is, now, I haven't been able to verify all this through medical science, but I'm kind of believing it's true, okay? They say, they, whoever these are, experts, let's call them experts, that every human being is born with two fears. One is a fear of falling. Every little baby is afraid. If you... You know, they'll jerk if you, they feel like they're being, and a fear of loud noises. Like i have you know, like coming out, oh, be quiet, you know, with the William Luke, you know, because it scares him. He'll jolt if you make a loud noise. But now they're saying there's actually, they've identified at least 7,000 fears that people have. So between the time you're a little infant and the time you are big enough to think good and clearly and act and be responsible, you have somewhere picked up between 6, 6,000 and, and 998 more fears have come into your life. Isn't that incredible? And it all comes from living. Out, if you've got a lot of fears operating in your life, you had to ask yourself about your revelation of grace. True. Now everybody has to deal with fear. I'm not saying we don't deal with it. I'm just saying if you've got an issue with fear, then you have a grace issue. And that's the truth. You have a grace, a grace issue. That's why I say the, the grace will ultimately lead you to a revelation of the Father, and perfect love does what? Casts out fear. God has not given us a spirit of fear, right? But of love, power, and a sound mind. Well, you all see that. And so the way you really come into this thing is through this revelation of grace. I think that's pretty good. This really helped me. I'm just telling you my experience with it. It's helped me hugely. I can relate a lot of things back to grace and this revelation of grace. Now, what happened was, um, you know, they had a couple kids. I'm talking about Adam and Eve. One was named Abel. One was named Cain. There were other children, by the way, just, just in case you were curious. Uh, and so, you know, you remember the story. Cain went to the Lord to make an offering to the Lord. And he offered the Lord, you know, stuff that he had toiled in the ground to give to God. And God just didn't go for it. He didn't want it. And Abel offered the Lord a sacrifice. Right? And Cain got all messed up about it and got angry and started going off and getting, getting real foolish about it. And the Lord was trying to minister to him, trying to talk to him to help him through that moment. Okay? But he wouldn't listen and he eventually killed his brother. So that's another area we can look at our lives about our graces. How are we relating to other people? You know, how do we treat other What do we think about it? Are we full of criticism? Are we angry at people? Are we going after people? That's really where it started at. It's back there when Cain slew Abel. And then it says in verse 16, after, all, you know, after he killed him all this, and the Lord confronted him about killing his brother, In verse 16 of chapter 4, Genesis, it says, Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord. You know, that's ultimately what's going to happen to every one of us when we're not in grace. Eventually we'll leave the presence of the Lord. Eventually we'll pull away from God. It happens over and over in your life if you'll pay attention. That's scary. And dwelt in the land of Nod. Y'all know where that is? It's actually east of Eden. That's what it says. Uh, I gonna say, i got to look up that name, Nod. Nah, what does that mean? It's got to mean something. It's, it's not a good place. And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. That is not the Enoch that walked with God and was no more. That, this was, there was like actually three Enochs in the Bible. This is the first one. It was not a good dude. And he built a city, being Cain, and called the name of the city after the name of his son. So this is a big clue. It identified what Cain did. He built a city. There's nothing wrong with building a city, right? But the Bible's trying to give us a hint here. Uh, let's look in, down in verse 20 of Genesis 4. It goes on and gives some names of other people. And then it gets to, and Adai bore Jabal. He was the father of those who dwell in tents and have livestock. He was the first farmer, a uh, cow farmer. What he did, right? You see that? What he did. And then it goes on, his brother's name was Jubal, and he was the father of those who play the harp, and he was the father of musicians. So this is the ungodly line of Cain, because there's another line of people I'll tell you about in a minute. This is the ungodly line, and these people were all known by what? What they did. In other words, they got all their identity, they got all their... their, their uh, Uh, acceptance. Everything about them had to do with what they were doing. Okay? And you think about it. In life, this is how we live life. Your children, you know, you have babies, you know, they take their first steps, you're cheering them on, right? They bring a great report card home from school, you're cheering them on. Of course you wouldn't like little Susie comes home with an F in Spanish. Oh great, little Susie, you failed Spanish Awesome! Nobody would do that. We want to cheer them on. We want to celebrate those victories. And as we, you know, the sports. You know, you're the best in sports. A beautiful woman. You're the most beautiful woman. You're going to be a model. Uh, You know, you're a musician. Look how awesome you are. And then they grow up, and what kind of car you drive. They actually say that women are attracted to guys who have nice cars. Or, or nice muscles. You have such big biceps. You know, you know, you, and you have such a great job. You're making so much money. You're such a success. You're a vice president. And so we celebrate all these things in people. And honestly, I think we need to celebrate our victories. Okay? But here's what the problem is. All that's based on what we do. Okay? It's not based on who we are. So this is where the Bible, see, this is where it, it tells us the fundamental difference. And this will really help you in your life, because you don't want to live your life based on what you do. Because you might be the most beautiful person in the world, and then one day you're going to get ugly. Or somebody more beautiful will come along. What are you going to do then? Then you're not the most beautiful, you're the second most beautiful. And it's a bad day. You know when you're the, when you always was first and suddenly you're second or third or fourth or fifth or fiftieth, right? Now let's read about the other people. Are y'all good? I gotta hurry up. I gotta do the next thing in seven minutes. Genesis four twenty five through twenty six. And Adam knew his wife again, and she bore a son, and named him Seth. For God has appointed another seed for me instead of Abel, whom Cain killed. So here's another person group. And as for Seth, to him also a son was born, and he named him Enosh. Then, then, get this, men began to call on the name of the Lord. It was through the godly line of Seth. It didn't, and if you study the whole thing, the whole genealogy, it says nothing about what any of them did. It wasn't about being a musician or a farmer or or, an athlete or nothing. It was about Men beginning to call on the name of the Lord. These men were the grace men. Those other men were the carnal men. Those other men were not and Christ Himself, genealogy goes back into Seth, not into Cain. It is good. I'm telling you, it's great. Because they got their significance and they got their identity from the Lord Himself and not what they did. Not what they did. And see, spiritually, if that is not established in our life, we will spend our life wanting to be loved, wanting to be accepted, trying, trying, trying to measure up to some invisible standard, and we will never get there. And we'll constantly feel rejected, and we'll push God away, and eventually we'll push the people around us away. And you'll say, "Well, them people, at that church, they ain't this, they ain't that." But really, it's, it's us. It's our hearts. We're the they aints because we're trying to get something that God has already offered to us. All right, there's a couple of remarkable people that I wanted to mention to you. One of them is in verse 24. It's the real Enoch, the one we want. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. The, word, the name Enoch means dedicated. He was dedicated, to the Lord. He had a dedicated life where he just walked with God. That was what he was known for. Walking with God. And one day, the way the story goes, he took a long walk with God and he looked around and thought, man, it's a long walk home. Can I just stay here with you, Lord? Sure. And he was not. Wouldn't that be a great day? You took a long walk with God and like, God, I don't want to go back home. That's too far. He said, well, Hank, just stay here then. But what people don't know, I know I've got this Byron Wicker theology I wanted to pass along to you. There's two people in the Bible that didn't die. Do you all know who the second one is? Enoch's first one, right? Who? Michael Jackson. <laughs> Elijah. Well, you know, the Bible says this. There's, at the end of days, there's going to be two witnesses that are going to stand in Jerusalem and prophesy. And eventually they'll be killed. I believe I know who those two witnesses are. It is, the Bible says it's appointed for man for once for man to die. Those two guys are sitting up in heaven. They never died. So God is going to send them back, I believe. I can't prove this. I'm just telling you what I think. God's going to send those two boys back to the earth. you are going to go down there and be the two witnesses. If you happen to be alive when they come back, please make every effort to get to Jerusalem to hang around with those two guys. Because <laughs> I believe it will be Eli- Elijah and Enoch, and they are going to die. It says it in the Scripture. And they'll lay out there on the ground for two or three days. And then the Lord will bring them alive again. Bring, them. Yeah, isn't that powerful, though? I just, that's my thought. <laughs> Anyways, Enoch means dedicated. Then in verse 28, Lamech lived 182 years and had a son. This is another old guy, 182, having kids. Hey, that's grace, right? <laughs> Back then, that was young, I hate to say. But he called his name Noah. And Noah means rest. Isn't that a prophetic picture? Noah means rest. And they said, "No, This one will comfort us concerning the work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord has cursed. There's a difference between working and toiling. God has called us all to work, but He ain't called any of us to toil. Toil is me and you doing what we believe God's called us to do, and being out of our own self-efforts, our own strength, our own human self, and you will burn out eventually and do that and despise God and despise everything about God. I've seen it with re- people who are really into the revival. She said revival. I love revival. I've seen people that are into revival burn out because it was all a self-effort to get the revival instead of a belief that this is what God wants, and I'm agreeing with God, and I'm going to let it. All righty. So, now let me give you one more scripture. Two minutes. This is what is the, the Popeye scripture. Okay? 1 Corinthians 15.10 By the grace of God, I am what I am. So, y'all who know Popeye, I remember Popeye the Sailor Man? I'm Popeye the Sailor Man. <laughs> something else. He said something else, but eventually he said, I am, I am what I am. And that's what Paul says, by the grace of God. You see, it's God's grace that brings us into this revelation of the Father, which the Father says, this is who you are. And you can confidently say, when, you, when the Father says, this is who you are, you have your identity, you have your significance. If you ain't never had that experience, grace will bring you to that place where you can have that experience freely. And so that's the Popeye revelation. That's, I am what I am. But, see, this is the thing. Grace is like a seesaw. Have you ever been on a seesaw and nobody was on the other end? It's boring, right? I'm sitting here. I'm on the ground. You know, my legs are touching the ground, and the other end's up in the air. That's half of it. You see, that's why I'm saying there's there's the being part of grace. This is who you are. This is what God has done in you. You're free. You don't have to do nothing. You're just free. You're you're wonderful. You're set free from all this stuff. And then one day you wake up and you're sitting on the seesaw and nothing's happening in your life because there's not this other place, because this is what he says. And his grace, this is awesome, towards me was not in vain. That's telling you something. If you only have a half a revelation of grace or that, that being part of revelation of grace and not the doing part, there's a vanity that will come into your life. He said this. He said, But I labored more abundantly than they all. And he was talking about the other apostle. I did more than all of them did. But the grace of God, not I, but the grace of God in me. And that's the seesaw. There's this part of just being. And God pouring Himself into you. And you're free. You don't, you're not doing anything to get identity. You're not doing anything to get a purpose. You're not trying to get God to move. You're just free of all that. You are free indeed. And then one day God comes and gets on the other side of the seesaw and says, Now that you are living from that place, start, you know... Yeah, let it go, and you'll be like Paul. I did more than Peter. I did more than John. I did. All... Well, it wasn't me, really. It was just the grace of God in me, because grace doesn't. You will never truly be able to to really do until you get this revelation of being settled. But I'm gonna be honest with you. I know a lot of people who claim they have this revelation of grace, and they ain't done nothing with their life ever, and I question their revelation. Because if you have a true revelation, there's some, there's an energy. Let me give you one more scripture. You got time? Yes or no? <laughs> That's a dirty trick. <laughs> if you said no, I would just ignore you. But there's always somebody saying, "No, please tell her, please, please, please." All right, Philippians two thirteen. For it is God who is at work in you, both. Everybody say both. both. To will and to work. For his good pleasure. Yeah. To will and work. Let me give you this little quick testimony. Painful. the w- Grace works. It works at your worst moment. It works at your greatest moment. My wor- one of my worst moments of my life. June the 9th. 2 o'clock in the morning. I get a phone call. A terrible phone call. Matt Stewart was murdered. Okay. I'm just like stunned. Just go and lay down the bed. And this is why I said, Lord, I can't do this. This is what he said to me. Byron, my grace is sufficient for you. For in your weakness, my power is perfected. That's what he said to me. Well, I'm a smart guy. I said, well, I don't want to do it. I literally said that to the Lord. I don't want to do it. Your grace may be sufficient, but I don't want you to do it. And he said, Byron, I'm working in you to will and do. You know what I did? I got myself up and got in the shower and went to living out. Well, I had to live out because the grace of God was there to do it. I'll tell you something. We'll never get through this life. That's the worst. I can promise you. It's the worst of the worst when you face that. That's when you really find out. Do you have a real revelation or do you just have a theology? It's when, in those moments. Do you have something real for God or do you just have this theology, this thought, this teaching, this this ideal about life, about grace and all that? You find out. We'll all get to find out because we're going to have situations Woo! (laughs) All right, let me just end on some other thoughts because I collect thoughts that people say to me about grace. Here was a great one, a great guy, a really good friend of mine back. This is back 1990-something. There was a song that was popular the church used to sing. This is the way it went. Show your power. Y'all remember that? Oh, Lord. You remember what's in that song, Becky? Hey, what's that song? (laughs) (laughs) What's the rest of that song? Yeah, something else. That was it? It was just a one-line song. Well, it was a very powerful song. Well, one, I get this phone call for this guy. He wanted to have an appointment with me. After we sang that song in church, he comes in and he said, I'm very offended by that song. I said, really? Which song? That song, Show Your Power. I said, what? That's really what I said to him. He said, Byron... God has already shown His power. He did it at the cross. It's an offense to God to ask Him to do something He's already done. I said, what? I said, wait a minute. Don't you have two sons or two children, a son and a daughter that have not fallen the Lord? He said, yes. I said, don't your wife have Crohn's disease? He said, yes. I said, don't you want God to do something? He said, yes. I said, well, there's a song. Are we so religious to think that we can't say to God, God reveal your power, show your power. We know you've already. It's not saying He's not already done it. That's a there's a powerful spirit that comes ac- across the grace revelation. That was a eye opening experience for me that that day. Here's another one. I've been asked this numerous times by people. By why are we praying? The the Lord's prayer is not a not a, a uh, that prayer is no longer a legitimate prayer because. The kingdom has already come. Why are we asking the kingdom to come? It's already come. Right? Well, the kingdom has already come. Right? But do we see the kingdom manifested everywhere? That prayer, literally when you're praying it, you're saying, Lord, let your kingdom manifest right here and right now in the situation I'm praying about. It's not an opposite grace message. It's not an affront to God you know, when we say stuff like that. Um, one of the other things is is the hunger thing about being hungry for the Lord. Now, there's a desperateness that comes on people. Like, huh, huh, I'm going to die. No, you're not going to die. I don't like being praying with people who act all desperate. Do you? Like, oh, please, man, come on. Where's, you know, God ain't called us to be a bunch of desperate. But I tell you what, hunger is a great thing for the Lord. In fact, this is the truth. Hunger is a sign of life. When you lose your spiritual hunger, there's something wrong with you. Uh, hospice will tell you this. People who do deal with dying people, is one of the signs of a dying person is they lose their appetite. One of the, if your child came home and didn't want to eat supper, you'd be concerned. If they woke up the next day and didn't want to eat breakfast, you, you'd think, whoa, something's wrong with my, my child. They don't want to eat no more. You see, God, uh, Marlon told me about this message Bill Johnson preached. He said, eating spiritual food is the only kind of eating we'll ever do in this life that when we eat, we're just hung- it makes us more hungry. Don't you don't you see that the more of God you have, the more the more revelation of him, the more you want. The more touched by him, the more you want. It, it's just it just it's not like you don't have anything. It's like, oh God, this little bit has made me want you more and more and more. Those those are revelations of grace. It's manifold. All right, praise the Lord. Are y'all excited about the revelation of grace? <laughs> I am. I'm excited about the revelation of grace. This is just a little piece of it. But God really wants to reveal to you this morning a greater revelation of His grace. Now, if you're a person this morning, if you feel like you, that thing it says, the pleasure, willing to do His good pleasure, if you feel like your spiritual life, you feel like this pleasure is going off of it, good sign that you're not walking in grace. When the pleasure starts going down, that doesn't mean you're not going to go through bad things. I'm not talking about just walking around all like a, some kind of fake person, but I'm just saying in your life in general, when you sense the pleasure going, you know something's wrong with you. It ain't everybody else. It's you. It's, it's the revelation. Oh, Lord. I... And here's what you do. Okay, this is really easy. When you find yourself at those points, here's what you do. You stop. Lord, i stepped out of your grace. I'm no longer walking. Lord, would you just forgive me? Oh, sure. I totally forgive you. Here, come on back into grace. I mean, you ain't got to do anything. You ain't got to run through no loops. You ain't got to do 27 push-ups or anything. All you got to do is by faith step back in. And suddenly the pleasure will get activated in your life again. And that's the way it is. If you really want God to really release more of that grace revelation to you, I want you to stand up. And while you stand up, let's bring the children in, okay? Eric, we're going to let the children pray over us this morning. But I want to pray just a general prayer that you and I would all, all of us, just get into a greater revelation of grace. Lord, we ask you for that. We, we say, more grace, revelation come, Lord. We want to, we want to be, we want grace to be the center. We want to be centered in grace. We want revelation of grace. We want to experience your grace more and more, Lord. We don't want to be people who think we've got it all and are so foolish to think, so foolish to think, that there's not more manifestations of your grace. There's not more revelation of your grace. That we don't grow in your grace. We're, not going to, we're claiming we're not experts. We're claiming we're like little children this morning. And we've got a daddy who's put his hand on our hand and you're walking us down a busy street in your hand. You're going to lead us. And I pray right now, I pray for every person in this room, I pray for the impartation of grace to come right now in Jesus' name. Just a fresh impartation. That grace river that's in everybody in this room will get loosed and begin to flow like a river. Let's just let it flow like a river. Thank you, Lord. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. I'm not sure what they're doing. They're bringing chairs. (laughs) But what we're going to do right now is we're going to... I know it's a little bit late, but we're going to turn this over to the children. They're going to pray for you. Eric, did you want to say something? Yeah. All right. Actually, Tony... Okay, well, we just had a, a real awesome time of prayer training with the kids back there. And they really want to pray for healing. And, and you guys need to believe that they can really heal you. God can use them in a powerful way. They have the same Holy Spirit that you guys have, same power in them. Okay? And they just want to release that and pray for you guys. And this is really just a practical way of giving them training to learn how to do it. And we just invite you up here. If, you're, if you have illnesses, if you, know, you want to stand in for somebody... That'd be great. You can come up and you can have a seat and the kids will pray around you. Just let them pray on you. I wanted to ask if you're on the prayer ministry team, if you would uh, come up and...